And once we understand who that buyer is, then we can start crafting a strategy to make sure that we're actively selling and marketing our services to them as if they have a choice to go elsewhere for their analytics needs, because they do. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And we're going to have another edition of Lunch Chat with Jason and Jim. Yeah. Maybe we should make that a thing. Like, instead of, you know, trying to force it not to be about food and analytics, maybe there's this natural thing that should be happening with food and analytics. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go grocery shopping. And uh, I, think, I think as we've aged, we've all learned the importance of eating right before going grocery shopping. Otherwise, I'm like, how did I spend $700 on stuff that I didn't need? Because I was so hungry while I was in the store. So I've uh, done it. Yeah, I, we, I, we've all done it. And I mean, there, there were the times where it's like I'm running home from work. But I, I, I have like a very distinct memory. Like the, the first time I got my first apartment, my 20s, moved out. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go be an adult and go grocery shopping. Of course, I didn't. You know, I, I went yeah. on an empty stomach. I didn't eat beforehand. And <laughs> the amount of crap I bought because, yeah, you're hungry. Yeah. So anyway, right before. So I'm going grocery shopping after we record. But right before, like I got to eat. So I made a, I made a sandwich. Uh, fried egg. Uh, we had some leftover spiral ham, so I heated up some ham on top of the egg and then a big spoonful of this syrupy fig sauce um, on top of the ham and then on bread. Interesting. That that fig and the ham and then kind of the creamy yolk, it just, it created magic, so... I'll trust you on that. That that is not a combination I was expecting to hear, but I'll I'll, I'll trust you. You know, those those tend to be the... uh, those tend to be the winning combinations, right? It's like, I never thought of putting those two things together. It's like, well, you know, that's why it works. So, I mean, who, who thought about putting pork and broccoli rob together? That's a thing, right? It is a thing. And it's probably incredibly delicious from what I hear. I've never, I've never experienced it. Yeah. And I am right now trying to think about how do we segue this into, <laughs> into our topic today, especially that line you just said, um, who would have thought that those combinations would have worked so well? Right, right. I don't know. What is our what is our theme for today? All right, so we're coming down to the end of this series of episodes. We started it out with a topic um, around vendors or outcomes. So mm-hmm. at, at that point, we were talking about, like, are you buying technology? Are you buying something purely because of the vendor? Or are you looking at the outcomes you desire? Are you properly evaluating it? And then we've talked about um, some other topics around that. Um, But so today I want to talk about the ultimate buyer involved. Um, So, um, you know, we've we've looked at it from the agency side. We've looked at it from the client side. Um, So flipping back to actually 
it doesn't even matter. This could be internal. This could be external. You could be on the vendor side. You could be on the client side. But I want to ask the question, do you know who your ultimate buyer is? Um, so whether, you know, no matter where you're working, there is a buyer asso- associated with the project you're engaged with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wh- wh- what does this mean when we say ultimate buyer and, and who is this person? It, it's such a good question. And I'm going to take a slightly opposite approach to start and, and, and talk about internally, uh, because I think it's a challenge that lots of analytics organizations struggle with. Um, they, they, they believe they know who their, their buyer is. Um, well, maybe that's a stretch. A lot of times they don't. Um, uh, it's, you know, it, it's been interesting over the years to, to talk with lots of different people in, in these organizations. And sometimes we'll, we'll ask some very pointed questions around, you know, why are you doing what you do? Who, who's requesting this? How are they using it? And I'm, I'm still shocked 10 years in that we still sometimes hear, Oh, that's a, that's actually a really good question. I don't know. I don't, you know, it's like, I, you know, I kind of show up, my boss tells me to do this and I'm like, I actually don't know what we're solving for um, and who we're solving that, that problem for. So it's, um, it's a really good question that we should be thinking about. And oftentimes we associate our buyer with uh, the, the person that we see is consuming our, our product the most. So on the analytics side, you know, who's asking for the dashboards? Who's asking us to deploy tracking pixels for their marketing campaigns? Um, we often see them as buyers, and they are. They, they are definitely important buyers in the ecosystem. But oftentimes, there's an ultimate buyer, as you as you put it, which we, we don't see kind of behind the curtain. And this often leads to a lot of frustration misaligned expectations, um, misaligned outcomes um, as far as what we're, we're trying to do because we haven't we haven't been in front of this ultimate buyer to understand, you know, where is this coming from? And oftentimes, sadly, it's led to a lot of interpersonal conflict between analytics teams and other buyers within the organization where they may be getting pressure, they may be pushing to do something, the analytics team doesn't understand why. And so there's oftentimes a lot of conflict there which can be resolved if we put in the time to understand, well, oh, okay, it makes sense. Now the CMO, you know, set this directive and we're trying to do this. Why didn't we know about that? Um, and so I think it's a really, really good question that, that we ask. Um, and, and again, I think it would be easy for us to take the perspective from someone selling something, you know, selling services, selling product. But I think the vast majority of our listeners are, are practitioners that have buyers of their internal products that they're creating from a data perspective. And they should be asking themselves, well, wait a minute, like who's ultimately signing the check here for, for what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, the, this is one of the, the lessons I learned early, early in my career, because like when, when you go through internships, those first couple of years out of college, you're just kind of told what to do. And, most people just put their heads down and just do what they're told. And it's like, okay, we're, we're doing this. It's, it's what we do as a company. And it isn't until like, sometimes you find out like, you know, somebody else is involved and you start asking why I remember there was a couple times early on. I'm like, well, why is this person asking me questions? Cause I'm, I'm, you know, fresh out of college. I'm a nobody. And they're like, <coughs> Oh, excuse me. I came out of yeah, I got something caught my throat like out of nowhere. But then I, I, I was working for a small software company, 
And next thing you know, like the senior VP is coming over to me asking me about the project. And I go to my boss, I'm like, why is he coming to me? Or maybe I was a little too blunt or, or, or didn't finesse the answer. <laughs> and um, you know, I go over to my boss and he's like, well, that's who sold the project. So maybe not necessarily the buyer, but internally, they are the ultimate stakeholder um, in it because they sold the project. They care because their ass is on the line with the client. Yeah. So not, not a complete, you know, n- not not a complete one-to-one with the idea of the buyer. So someone, you know, making the decision to bring in new software, as we talked about yesterday, or anything like that. Um, but 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 analogous in many ways. But you bring up a, a really good point, and I'll I'll try not to go too far off the path here. But um, it's you, what it, it's what we do. It's what we. I mean, it's how we got our name, right? I mean, name of our our podcast. Um, you bring up a really valuable point, um, and and I'm going to try to tie it into who who are who your ultimate buyer is. Uh, but Ben Gaines and I were talking about this, I think, a week or two ago. We were talking about uh, the skills that make a really valuable analyst. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth between lots of different hard skills and knowing different techniques and tools and soft skills. And I think, you know, he, he came back with something I can't remember his exact wording, but it was something around having this unquenchable curiosity of how things work is what makes a great analyst. And, um, I, I saw this and, and, and by the way, that can be incredibly frustrating to people you work with. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that we're saying, Hey, to be a great analyst, you need to be insanely curious about things. Just know you're probably going to rock the boat a, a little bit because people are going to get like, it's not Jim's job. To, why is Jim asking this? Why is Jim poking around over here? That's not done in a gym business. Jim needs to stay in his lane. That's not, you know, so it, it, expect that to happen. But tying it back to this question, if, if I'm in an analyst role, I should be incredibly curious, like who's actually consuming this data? Who's sponsoring this? Like if this fails, who's going to be in trouble? If this actually goes really well, who's going to get promoted to the C-suite? I should be filled with all of these questions. And I saw this work firsthand with, with Hila when her and I worked at Spark Networks. She was curious about everything. At the time, she was a SOX analyst, which has to be the most boring job in the world to do compliance analysis. But um, she would ask questions of the CEO to the front desk receptionist about every little thing to the point where everyone got annoyed with her. Like, Hila, that's not your job. Go back to doing your compliance stuff. But she was she's an analyst and she's curious about how everything works. And in, in, in a way, all of her questions weren't just like questions to question, but questions to understand how we operated as a business, which impacted her outcome or her output as an analyst around our overall compliance. So it actually did tie tie together. And so bringing it back full circle to this, as, as an analyst internally, this is a great way to start asking some of these questions of like, wait a minute, this, uh, we, we don't actually know who, who, who are ultimate buyers. And it's okay to admit that we have to start somewhere and we have to start asking questions. And the more questions we ask, the more questions there they will be. But this is such an important one because it's one that oftentimes, and I think the word I used a few minutes ago was misalign it. When we don't know 
who has the power to shape our program, who's ultimately pulling the strings to um, provide budget to our program, we're, we're running the risk of misaligned outputs and expectations. And if nothing more, knowing ultimately, and it's not that we have to drop everything to appease this one buyer, but if, if this person is very influential in our organization and in helping shape what we do and providing us funding, it's important that they at least get what they want out of the program. Um, and oftentimes, again, that doesn't happen because we've never stopped to ask, wait a minute, who's actually signing the check for this? Yeah, because I think we we ultimately assume everybody who's involved in meetings, weekly meetings, status updates, people who are on email threads, people that are on the kickoff call, those are all of the 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 key people and they may be the the direct users of it, but yeah, you're right. They're not they may not be the ones who are ultimately signing off on it. They may have delegated to, to somebody else to, to actually get it done. And, and from our experience, they often aren't. And again, they're very, very important people. They are the people that are the day-to-day. They are making sure that the day-to-day of what we're trying to do together works, what we're trying to produce as an analytics program. Um, but, but oftentimes, they're so far insulated from others within the organization that are also incredibly important buyers. And it's something as an organization we've been super focused on because I think a lot of times, especially in our early years, we were five, six levels separated from the person that was ultimately signing the check for what we did. And that's that's scary. I mean, it's scary for us as a services company because we're dependent on someone that we've never met and never have any chance of meeting. That's, that's scary. But it should also be scary for an internal analytics practice if I'm five levels removed from the person that is is basically holding my livelihood. We need to we need to put in the effort to close that gap, and and to close that gap, it, it starts with trying to have an understanding of what their desired outcomes are, so we can start aligning and then start building those those bridges. Unfortunately, it's it's really challenging in big organizations because oftentimes analytics organi- analytics teams are so far separated um, from from the top level of the company. I think we're getting better, but we have a lot of gap to close to get to that ultimate buyer. Yeah, and I'm I'm not going to ask this as a leading question. I I have some thoughts, but I want to frame it as a question. Um, why um, why do you think that is often the case that people don't know who that person is, whether it's external to your organization or internal. I mean, I think a lot of times it's just we jump into doing the job, both, both external and internal. You know, we jump in, we need to do an analysis, we need to do an implementation. Um, and and a lot of times internally they don't know. So again, we're, we're talking from a services perspective, but it, you know, a lot of times our internal partners don't know. And um, it's because I think things are so compartmentalized um, and people are so incredibly busy that it's just like we don't have the time. We can't make the time. You know, this person is ultimately responsible, but they're just way too busy. I think a, a big reason for that is this overarching challenge that we're struggling with as an analytics community is that our perceived value within organizations. Um, if we were seen as linchpins, as mission critical, the ultimate buyer makes the time. Absolutely. 
But if we're seen as a nice to have or a commodity or a, yeah, it's, it's interesting what they do. I can see, yeah, like a CMO is busy, a CEO is busy, you know, a, a chief data officer is busy. We're probably not going to get their, their time if we're just seen as kind of a nice to have. But if we're critical to the success of the company, you bet they're making time. Yeah, and and I definitely don't want to derail because I know we've gone down there before about making <laughs> analytics critical to the industry uh, to to the organization, um, but but you're absolutely right there, um, and I think it's it's a mix of a couple things. Like we've talked about so many times about how one of the most common traits I've noticed, and I think you've noticed as well, with for folks within this space is they're introverts. They just kind of want to be left to to do their job. And they actually see it as, as a burden to go talk to those folks. And I'll use uh, an industry cliche, evangelize mm -hmm. the use of it, using, using data. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a, no, I know you bring up a, a really, really good point is that um, as, as analytics professionals, understanding business and people I believe is much more about our job than doing math and understanding statistics. Sure, that's important. But ultimately, if, if we're not taking that um, scientific technical knowledge and applying it to how people operate, how organizations operate, how people think about buying and interacting with brands, then yeah, our value is, is super, super limited. And I, I never really thought about it from the perspective of introverted versus extroverted. So, you know, is it that the, the role kind of attracts introverts and that's why it's happening? It, you know, is it happening because, I don't know, introverts, they, they, they like this topic, but they don't want, I don't know why, why it, it ultimately is, is a gap, but it's one that needs to be solved. And, and in fact, what I found is that introverts are the best to solve that gap. And so if I'm in an analytical role and I'm saying, well, I can't, I can't go meet with the senior VP of marketing because I'm an introvert, you can. And it might be scary, but you're the right person to do it because of your introverted nature. You're going to actually sit there and listen and, and you're not going to be motivated to talk about how smart you are at all this data. Like you're going to sit there and listen and you're going to make an imp incredibly important human connection. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that human element of what we do is something that is so critical for us getting to the point where we're able to execute to our abilities. I mean, this industry has so many incredibly smart people, but they're, they're often never able to reach their potential because of that gap of going from sitting down in the basement doing really hard technical things and being comfortable with taking that knowledge and sitting in a boardroom with senior executives of a company. If we can help bridge that gap, these incredibly smart people will be able to reach their potential. And the thought of that makes me incredibly happy. Yeah. And, and as an introvert, I can, I can say like there was a point early in my career where I would get frustrated and Again, this was you know the naive part of you know you know my career when I just assumed people knew the value of what I was doing, the value of what I was building, and found it frustrating that I kind I had to always go talk to people and share it and yeah act as a hype man almost 
you know, act as my own hype man as to why what I'm doing is important. And it, it finally dawned on me one day that I'm like, if I'm not going to do it, no one else will, or someone else is going to fill that space and fill that time with those people on why what they're doing is important. That actually is the norm in corporate, which is sad. But I mean, you bring up something really, really important and it's, it's not, it's not a toot your own horn type of thing. It's not a, Hey, look at me. But the sad reality is in that in, in corporate gyms get taken advantage of Jason's get taken advantage of because we think, Oh, we'll, we'll just sit here and do our work quietly and people will recognize it and we'll be taken the value is apparent. The value is obvious. It's not, it's not. (laughs) And so what happens is someone else comes along and it's like, ooh, I can take advantage of Jim and I can go and sell what Jim is doing as what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, why is he getting promoted and getting the raises and all of this? Well, it's because he's taking credit for what Jim is, is doing. And so internally, that's why it's important to know who your buyer is. Again, it shouldn't be about ego. It should be about making clear that if you know Ashley is the ultimate buyer in your organization, that she knows that Jim is doing an incredibly important role within the company to provide insights into how our customers are buying from us. And if if you aren't able to make that connection, sadly, in the corporate world where it's a episode of Survivor Island, someone else is going to be taking that credit for you and is going to be talking to Ashley and saying, "Yeah, all this stuff. I'm 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 doing all this stuff. We don't we don't need Jim. We don't need Jim. Keep keep, keep it in the basement." So I've mentioned multiple times how like when I was in high school and college, I was a huge fan of pro wrestling and every now and then I'll turn it on. And, and now I'm at the age that I'm at the age that I am. And like a lot of the ones that I grew up watching, a lot of the wrestlers I grew up watching have now retired and they've pulled back the curtain on mm. it. You see the sales and the psychology involved it's pro wrestling. Yes, we know it's scripted. Like let, let, let's get past that. There's a, um, it's, it, it has its has roots in carnivals. It, mm-hmm. it has carny roots. Mm-hmm. So you had to go out and get these people to suspend disbelief and make them think what you were doing is real. And, you know, it, that, that's how they catch fans is, is, you know, for a moment you think, oh, yeah, this is real. Like you kind of suspend any kind of holding in reality. And as some of them have started to pull back and have started sharing some of the, the secrets you see what's involved and the ones that are truly athletic, but have no ability to, to speak. Like they don't have the good catchphrases like Dwayne, the rock Johnson, you know, he's gone completely mainstream at this point when he was in his heyday in the late nineties, he didn't need anybody else. He Mm. knew how to cut a promo. He knew how to hold the audience in the palm of his hand and they would just hang on every single word. But there are those that are just as athletic as him, but don't have the voice. So they would always pair them with a promoter, with a hype man. They would do the talking. And they were the ones that got that, that individual over. And, but that's the thing is, is, yeah, in the corporate world, you don't have anybody like that. Norm, well, normally you don't. You have to be that person to, to talk up what you're doing. And, yeah, it's not to lie. It's not to overhype. It's not to pat yourself on the back. And that's the one thing with introverts, you know, myself included, you start to feel like you're bragging, mm-hmm. but it's not, you need to share the value because if you don't, somebody else will. 
Yeah. I mean, unless unless somehow you can go out and hire Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart, um, you know, you're going to have to be your own hype man. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but but yeah, I mean, you you bring up a really valuable point. Um, and, it, and it's not about, hey, look at me. Hey, you know, stroke my ego. It's it's just a reality of the landscape of the way things are. And, and it, maybe it would be great if we didn't have to do that. Maybe it would be great if, you know, everyone just understood organically this is how it works. But it's not the reality. It's not the reality for us as a business. And it leads to a lot of frustration with me because I, I oftentimes have that conversation with myself. It's like, why can't the marketplace see that we're different and this is why we're great and this is why they should, you know, want to work with this? Well, they don't see it because I'm not doing my job to tell that that story, to put that message out. And it's the same way internally. And I've shared this story a lot. I've written about it. But um, one of my first bosses out of college, Paul, um, gave me such a valuable lesson because I worked in IT. Um, He said, look, most IT organizations take their customers for granted, take their buyer for granted, that their buyer doesn't have a choice. Because you're internal, they have to use your product. They have to use your service. But if if you want to create a world-class IT organization, you have to treat your buyers as having a choice and you have to sell and market to them just as if they were an external client. And it, it's a, it's something that I, I, I really took to heart. It's something that I, I deployed when I went client side at, at Spark Networks is I tried really hard to view my buyers and my ultimate buyers having a choice. And I created a brand around our analytics practice. I marketed to them. I sold to them just as if they were an external company or um, an external customer. And so I think it's it's really important that we we take that view. And and again, as an introvert, our, our, our initial gut reaction may be, oh, I'm uncomfortable, like bragging about. We're not talking about that. I'm not talking about bragging. I'm not talking about shining the spotlight on you. I'm talking about the importance of looking at what you do as a business. And your internal customers, your internal ultimate buyers have a choice. And if you are not selling and marketing to them, if you're not helping paint the picture of why your brand is the best brand to buy analytics from, they may still buy it because the CEO is forcing them to, but they're not going to be happy customers. They're not going to want to collaborate with you. You're not going to have a good time working with them. I love how you just brought up um, the making your internal customers, whether they have a choice or not, making like they feel like they have a choice. Yeah. That is absolutely the one way to for them to value it because the, imi- the image I got in my head of the opposite is the DMV. Mm. Everybody hates dealing with the <laughs> DMV and we don't have another choice. Right. Like if we're sending a package, we can go to the post office, we can go to UPS, we can go to FedEx and, and whatnot. You can't go anybody else for driving, driver's license renewal, driver's license test, registration, all of that. And they don't. Like if you think of the DMV, and that's why the DMV is a running joke, is they know you don't have another choice and they act like it. Yeah. Versus dealing with a FedEx, they know you have other choices. And while they may make mistakes at times, they know they have to earn business. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's such a powerful metaphor for internal analytics in any internal teams that are supporting other internal organizations to, to view your, to view your buyer as having a choice and operating like you would, if you were trying to market and sell to an external customer, 
it, we've seen it we've seen it work we've we've taken that approach and strategy with our with our clients and it just it just feels like a smart way to 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 do business we were talking a couple minutes ago about you know if you're not sharing the value of what you're doing with those above you somebody else will fill that gap analytics if you don't share the value of it. If you don't make it feel, you know, you don't provide value that people feel like they're making a choice to come to you, there are others that will fill a gap. Mm-hmm. How many times have we talked about these days agencies pairing analytics, or I'm going to do air quotes, analytics with their paid marketing services? Mm-hmm. If you're not out there sharing the value of what you're doing as an internal analytics resource, you're going to have someone outside the organization filling it. And we see that, I mean, not, not, maybe not so much now, but in our early days and and maybe still now to a degree, we saw that so much where, where that approach wasn't taken. And all of a sudden there's this huge divide between internal analytics teams and the marketing teams because the marketing teams are getting their analytics external. Well, our, our ad agency gives us all our analytics. We, we don't need you. Yeah. That's a very real thing. Uh huh. It happens. And I still see it. I still see it, um, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go down the path of why it's a bad thing, but you, you aren't the only ones there that could provide information, data, and insights to to your, you know, colleagues internally. Yeah, and and I love how this kind of brings it back full circle to the topic of who is our buyer. If we don't know who our buyer is, how can we ever come up with some sort of marketing and sales strategy to sell to that buyer. So if if we don't know that fundamental question, and it's okay, it's okay to admit it, uh, because admitting it puts us on the path to solving it. If we, if we don't know who it is, and we're scared to be vulnerable and admit it, then the outcome is already sealed. We're, we're not going to be able to produce to our to our level and, and our ability. So if you're listening to this, if you're running an internal analytics program, if you're a key contributor to an internal analytics program and you don't know who your buyers are, especially your ultimate buyer that is controlling the funding for your program, we need to start asking that question today. And once we understand who that buyer is, then we can start crafting a strategy to make sure that we're actively selling and marketing our services to them as if they have a choice to go elsewhere for their analytics needs because they do. I want to go back to something you were talking about. We were talking about like why people lose sight of who their ultimate buyer is. Um, and there was a note I wrote down. I wanted to talk about like you brought up something that was really, really interesting and the idea of jumping right into a project. Because um, I, I mean, one of the reasons that that jumped out at me, all puns intended, is because it's happened to me where it's you get handed a project and you immediately jump three steps ahead. Like we gotta get a kickoff call scheduled, we need to figure out meeting times. You know, you immediately start building the solution based on what you were told. That like that's definitely one area where you need to slow down and and really try to understand who are you going to be working with and who's going to be the recipient of it. Yeah. It's something I know I've been trying to definitely put some um, speed bumps in the process, mm-hmm. you know, in, in internally here is that handoff between sales and, and ultimately the project execution team on our side, who are they ultimately delivering this to? 
Because it's easy to get, you know, um, bogged down in the project and you build a really strong relationship with your day-to-day um, colleagues on the client side. But, you know, if, if you forget who that main person is, then then you can have problems. And, and you will have problems. And I think... I, I don't know if it's just general human nature or or who we tend to be as as analytics professionals, but we we love to we love to get going. We love to build. We love to just jump in and, and do it. Um, and oftentimes we have to put up artificial. I like the term you use, speed bumps, to kind of force us to slow down a little bit and prepare and plan. I I think about my kids doing Legos a lot because it's very similar to watching um, most kids build Lego. They, they're so excited to build it. They rip open the package. They dump out all the Legos on the table, and then they start building. And a lot of times without even looking at the instructions. And then you get 40 steps deep, and you've built things out of order, and you're missing a piece, and now the whole thing is just a mess. And taking just a few minutes to slow down, organize your pieces, make sure you have everything you need to get started, Maybe even slow down and read through the deployment instructions so we understand, you know, the key steps to start to think ahead as we plan. It, it's not as overbearing as we think to take that those few minutes to slow down. But from our experience, taking that opportunity to slow down. Okay, who are we building this for? What Who is our buyer? What do they want to walk away with? How do we make sure that we're ultimately answering their questions it saves so much pain later because you're going to run into it. Ultimately, you're going to run into it. And it's better to run into that at the start when you have control over how you're going to approach your your program, your project, than it is to run into it 40 steps deep. And then you say, oh, we have to backtrack 38 steps now. Yeah. And I think um, with this conversation, I think there's two key takeaways. Um one is the continual need to, con- to, to share the value in what you're doing internally. Don't assume people know what you're doing is valuable. Don't assume that the value is apparent. But then it's the second one is that. When a project is getting started, take a moment to know exactly who your ultimate consumer is, who your buyer is, who, are the per- who is the person that signed off on this and why. Because your, your long-term success it hinges on that. Uh, absolutely. And I think it's, it's true of really any discipline. Um, I wish we would have asked this question of shy when we had him on the podcast, but you know, just tell, think how easy it is if you're hired to do any kind of a job, but you don't know who is, who the buyer is. And you think you have an idea. It, 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 I kind of think of that example of the, is it a horse or a motorcycle or something where it's like, well, this is what, you know, the developer thought it was, this is what, and it's like completely different images of what the outcome was intended to, to be. And so if we don't know, you know, who we're building for, then again, it's, it's, it's almost luck if we come up with something that's directionally even close to what our buyer hoped to, to walk away from or with. And, and I think that that really is at the core of a lot of the challenges that we have as an analytics industry is because we're building things think is cool oh this is cool this is fun i want to do this and yeah that you know we should have the time to play around in the lab with those type of things 
but ultimately we have a buyer that we're, we're building for. And if we're ignoring that buyer and building things that we want to build because we think it's cool, then again, it's this misset expectations where they're going to be like, wait a minute, this isn't what, this isn't what the sales rep at Adobe sold me. Like, what is this? You know? And there's, there's, there's frustration. They're upset. And, and it doesn't need to be that way. But unless we understand who we're building for and why, it's incredibly difficult for us to craft something that's going to to solve those very unique and specific problems within our our organizations. Yeah, you know, and, and, t- and kind of taking it on like the, you were talking about the image of like what the developer asked for, what the analyst asked for, what the IT manager asked for. You can build the best swing set, you know, it, it, you know based on what everything that your day to day contact of the project told you about and. They kept talking about a swing set and wanting a swing set. But if the ultimate buyer was expecting a sandbox and you didn't know that, that's on you. The reason why I'm talking about sandboxes is because I bought my son a new sandbox today to set up at the new house because it's all he wants to do is dig. It's because he it's because you went to uh, the digger land for his birthday, right? Well, I mean, he's just been obsessed with construction vehicles for like the last year and a half. And now that we have some space, all he wants to do is just dig. So... Mm. Um, instead of digging in the mulch or something like that, I'm going to buy like a nice big sandbox and you could dig till his heart's content. And that, that, that honestly actually is a great analogy as we start That's to awesome. wrap up is, is I could get him a swing set and he, he'd think it'd be fun. You know, he, he would enjoy it. But if I get him a, a sandbox, cause that's what he's telling, you know, I could see that's what he wants. He'll play out there for hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, your buyer. Let's go ahead and, and wrap up there. We've got a, a lag going at the moment, but uh, thankfully it only came in at the, the end here. Um, so as we wrap up, any, any final thoughts? No, I mean, I think, I think we've, we've hit the major topics. Um, again, our audience is probably more skewed towards analysts, but this is true for anything we do. Even in life, um, there, there are buyers that we work with, and if we don't know who is buying our product and service then we're, we're putting ourselves at a real disadvantage. So, you know, I think that the biggest takeaway is asking those questions like, who is my buyer? What do they want? And then how can I set a strategy in order to deliver an incredible product and experience for them? Yeah, so very, very well said. So this has been um, a great conversation, uh, lots of fun. So let's go ahead and wrap up there and we'll talk to everyone later. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.